Welcome to the Smart Connector, the podcast that helps entrepreneurs be the leader their ideal people love. Build your influence, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. I first met Anne Coppins when we were on our marketing mastermind in Peterborough together. I was so impressed with her amazing global company, Gamification Nation, her relaxed, laid-back personal style and her incredible knowledge of gaming and tech that I felt I absolutely had to have her as a guest on my podcast. I'm sure you'll enjoy this telephone interview between us. Jane Baylor, and I'd like to welcome you to the Smart Connector podcast. I'm your host. Today, I'm interviewing Anne Coppens, who's the founder, CEO, and chief game changer at Gamification Nation Limited. Welcome, Anne. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, you're very, very welcome. <laughs> Great to have you here. So Gamification Nation, which is based in London, offers gamification design consultancy solutions game design services and gamification training. So her clients include well-known brands, multinational organizations, and smaller SMEs globally, with an innovation-focused mindset as the common thread. So under Anne's leadership, the company won the Outstanding Gamification Agency Award in 2017, and the Excellence in Non-Gamification Design in 2018 for board game. That's an amazing achievement. How did you manage to, to win those awards and, you know, trump the competition in that respect? <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard question to ask. You'd have to ask the judges that. <laughs> uh, but I suppose we always try to do something that we're proud of. So I guess that's the first thing. And in the gamification space, it's actually a relatively small world. So most of us know each other and we know of each other's work so i guess the agency award came about because of peer recognition and it was very much based on people voting for who they felt was deserving that year yes and excellence in non-technical gamification or non-digital gamification we pitched at a conference in chicago for bringing forward a cybersecurity board game that we designed for a client. Basically, based on the pitch and several conversations with the jury, uh, we won the award, which we were delighted for. And we're nominated again for new awards, uh, fingers crossed. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, so yeah, yeah, we're nominated for the TIGA Serious Games Awards. And TIGA is an organization in the UK that supports the gaming industry for video games and the serious games category is seriously contested. Uh, I mean, the whole event is seriously contested. You have all the big name companies in the game world taking right. part. So, so we're up against uh, the likes of the BBC. Uh, <laughs> wow! And other big names. Some competition there. Yeah, just slight. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so for a small company like ours. It's nice to even be shortlisted in, in great company. And it's good for my team to, to be in awards and to win. And I remember bringing back the award from Chicago to the clients for the board game. 
think there was a parade with the award through the offices and everything. Oh, so that's lovely. It was, yeah, it was great fun. So, yeah. But yeah, I like to be proud of what we do. And when we are, I also want us to, to be recognized for it. So I think it's important to keep the, the spirit up when, especially when you're a smaller player and you may not have the budget to give to your people. Definitely. Um, you know, it's, it's extra kudos. It's extra. Of course it is. It makes everybody feel good, doesn't it? It does. It does. Totally does. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. Brilliant. So Anne, the Smart Connector is about entrepreneurial people power and Smart Connection, which is about resonating with, with people. So some of our listeners might not be familiar with your sector because, as you said, it's quite a small and specialist sector. So it would be really helpful if you could just give us a brief outline of what gamification gaming is all about. I mean, obviously, people are going to know what video games are, but what are the main issues in your sector at the moment? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest reason why people come to us for gamification solutions is because they want to engage with their people more, yes. whether that's true for their employees or for their customers. Everyone's caught on to the fact that, yes, gaming is a big business. In fact, it has surpassed the film industry in the UK for making money. Wow. Uh, it's a bigger industry than the broadcast and film industry together. Really? So, yes, it is. So the gaming industry as a gaming for entertainment is, is actually turning the economy much more income than, uh, let's say, film and, and TV are doing today. That's incredible. So yeah. Game really here to stay, isn't it? I think so. I think we'll see more and more of it. Yeah. So, and, and I suppose what gaming does, it's, uh, and the game industry does and gamification as a, as a side does is it connects people on a deeper level where as a kid you played. Yes. Everybody's experienced that. So that's the human connection we all have. How do kids make sense of the world around them? It's true play. Yes. And a lot of us as adults still do parts of that. And part of our sense-making mechanisms are all about, oh, I'll try that, I'll test this. And that is the same whether you're in a game or whether you're uh, actually doing it for your company. So so when we, when we are asked to get involved, it's usually because there is either a lack of engagement or a drive to more innovation, a drive yes. to, to people collaborating more or competing. <laughs> so, you know, it could be either or. My term or my definition of gamification is is adding game mechanics and game psychology to non-game situations. And I would argue that it's much more about human psychology than it is about the actual game mechanics. So to give you the context behind that, it's if I introduce a leaderboard into any process, I by default introduce competition. Yeah. And the competition is where the psychology takes place and whether that is the wanted behavior that you're trying to search. If, for example, I introduce social mechanics like emojis, likes, things that you see on social media, yeah. by default, I'm actually introducing peer recognition, collaboration, doing things together and getting uh, a bit of feedback about it. So, you know, it's always about the psychology. It's very rarely about 
just the game mechanic. We need game mechanics. I, you know, people say that we need game mechanics. And I was like, yeah, what for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it really is about facilitating connection between people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Through, through technology and having fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, imagine this. So if you look at esports, which is now on our TVs. Yes. Um, and there's been kids coming together for years. This is not completely new, uh, but it's now reached mainstream kind of notoriety. If you look at esports, so people come together to watch kids play video games. Yeah. And they have fans just like soccer teams do. They have followers just like soccer teams do. There are systems like Twitch and Steam where people can publish themselves playing. And actually, people can donate money to the kids playing to learn from them. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's an amazing ecosystem that's actually popping out spontaneously yeah. out of fandom, out of people saying, wow, I want to play like that guy or that girl. And they just follow. And it's, I mean, no different to big soccer stars. It's no different to big rugby stars or movie stars or anything. The, the surprising statistic is, that some of the kids starting in esports playing professionally when they're about 12 to 14. Wow. And yeah. then, yeah, then they retire at 18 to 20 because your motoric skills slow down. Really? They, they become part of maybe slower teams or different leagues. <laughs> but so, so, so there is, a, and you know, often by 21 to 25, you're a coach. So that's a whole different ball game that's developing, which, you know, is also questionable whether that's the best, you know, <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> yeah. So are you saying that there are gaming influences in the way that there are celebrity influences? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, even if, <laughs> if, if you think about PewDiePie, when he played, I think it was Minecraft. Uh, yes, <laughs> I could be wrong on that one. Minecraft, um, the the old favorite. Yes, assaults <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He has a massive follower or following of young girls. Yes, I mean some of the esports teams uh, are superstars in the in the gaming world. I saw an article just just Friday, I think about the silver snipers a team of people all over the age of uh, 65 yes uh, who are joining the esports arena as a team and they're being coached by a guy uh, who played for ninjas in pajamas okay <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the like yeah it's 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 you know game names are, are fun like that <laughs> So, and he played for one of the top teams and he's coaching them. And this guy is in his uh, 20s. So, you know. It's, right. Yeah, it's a whole ecosystem. So there's game celebrities, there's game fans, there's all sorts of followings and paraphernalia attached to it, just like you would have to any blockbuster movie. And what a lot of the movies are doing is that they're linking it to games. Mm, that's very, very interesting. I'd like to hear more about that. Yes. Yes, yeah, it's exciting. I think it's exciting. It is. Yeah. So give me an example of a movie that is linked to a game, Anne. Yeah. So if you know the Jumanji story. Yep. Jumanji was a board game originally. So 
they are making a new one for a video game. So they're making a new remake of the movie, and this time it's based on a video game. So you can actually play the Jumanji the game or watch Jumanji the, the, the movie, the next level, come later in October. So I think the release is out in the coming weeks anyway. So, you know, there's, there's really cool stuff happening there. What you'll also find is that in some of the big first-person shooter games, celebrities that we know from the movies are actually in the game. So Angelina Jolie, I think, is probably the, the most known celebrity who's also got her own character in video games. Yes. So, so there is, you know, a crossover between uh, the two. And I think we'll see more and more of that. I mean, I, I saw an amazing series of The Lord of the Rings, which is obviously started as a book. Yes. Then became a movie. And it then became a video game. Yeah. Where you can play in multiplayer mode. So where you can take on uh, the role of any of the elves, any of the, the hobbits, any of the characters. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's super cool. I think it's, it's great that we see that transmedia connection happening more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it really is quite mind blowing in a way, isn't it? The it is. That, it is. Uh, it's all becoming more and more connected. Uh, on multiple levels. I think that's the thing that is really, really fascinating about smart connection within a marketing context. That totally. it's becoming very, very multi-layered and multifaceted. And, yeah. um, you know, the technology is really helping to, to link that up. But behind it all is the creativity, isn't it? Yes, exactly. I mean, the technology it wouldn't be possible without the technology. Yeah. So all of the streaming, all of the esports, etc. If you think about it, ten years ago, people had to actually show up with their whole box of a computer and uh, in in a car to you know come and play. Yes, now it's, it's in your handbag or your laptop bag, and you know it can fit it can fit pretty much any size bag. So technology has changed, but also networks like 3G, 4G, 5G um, yeah. are enablers for this. You know, good internet is enabling games all the world over. I'm just back from a trip to Manila and one of the projects we're working on is a gaming project. You know, the the challenge there is that Wi-Fi and having good uh, data connections is not always possible. So their games still need to be playable offline. Okay. Because in a lot of parts of Europe, we would say, what? Yes. <laughs> we don't have internet. Oh. So, you know, so there are parts of the world where that's still essential. Yes. But people still play. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it doesn't stop them. <laughs> no, no. Okay. So if you're commissioned by a corporate to create a game, could, could you talk us through the typical process, perhaps based on a case study that you've done? Yes, yes, absolutely. So to give you the example of the board game, this was for an insurance company who wanted to train their staff to be more aware of cybersecurity. Yeah. Which for a lot of the staff, they had been trained, they had done, you know, classroom training, e-learning training, etc. And some of the time, you know, they found that their salespeople would still not necessarily address the topic in a conversation with a potential client. Because to them, cyber was still that magical black box on the internet. Something goes wrong and nobody knows what happens. So 
there's a lot of, I suppose, preconceived ideas as to why you shouldn't talk about it because it would go down a rabbit hole and you wouldn't be able to answer the client's questions. Yeah. So, so there was an apprehension to talk about it. So they wanted to create something that was fun for a conference that yeah. they could play within 30 to 45 minutes and that would get the concept across of cyber and the impact of what cyber can do to a business. So the whole concept was that as a team around the table, you sit around and you basically defend the business against attacks. Now, attacks are scenarios in the game that you pick up as you go around. And in each scenario, uh, something very simple would happen. So we picked the most common, but also the most simple example. So the CEO has left his laptop bag in the train. Somebody's found the laptop, hacked into it, and all of a sudden they have access to all of the systems and they corrupt some of the data. So, you know, things like that. Another lady clicked on an advising email and the data is, is corrupted in, in the company. So there are many different examples of things that would happen for real. And the game as you play it uh, got harder and harder to, to beat the, the hacks as such. So if after five rounds you still had money left, you're yes. basically still in business. If you didn't, then obviously you learned the hard way that... Mm, you had to sacrifice certain parts of your business to the game as such, to the hackers. So, yeah. And what they said is that their people, after playing it, uh, felt up to 80% more confident about starting a conversation because they remembered scenarios. And even a while after playing the game for the first time, they still had up to 40% recollection of scenarios. Now, in learning, that's impressive. Yes, it really, really is. So I, I see why you say that psychology comes into it, because Absolutely. it's it's always difficult, particularly if the messages are quite dry and if the learning is quite dry, to actually get it into people's heads and get them to, to remember, isn't it? So Yeah, yeah. and also the psychology yeah. behind it. So because the fact that you're sitting around playing takes away the barrier from, oh, cybersecurity, I'm not going to understand that. Yes. You know, so you're immediately lowering the, the anxiety level because everyone knows they can play a game. They've done that before. So, you know, whether it's about cyber monopoly or anything else, everyone yes. has done that at some point. So you're creating a, a major equalizer by everyone taking a role in the game and playing collaboratively because that was one of the questions... I asked the company, they came to us with the idea, we want something competitive. Yeah. And I said, but you want to use this at an event. I said, do you really want to make it competitive? Because they said, oh, yeah, we're really competitive types. We're in the city of London, you know. Yes. And I said, yeah, exactly. For that reason, I'm questioning that. Yes. <laughs> because I said, do you still want people to have a good time after and speak to each other? Or do you want them to really be cutthroat in the game, trying to beat one another? Yes. <laughs> you know, and have a fallout. And they, went, they thought about it for a week. And then they said, no, I think we'll go with collaborative. Like, <laughs> it can work. That's funny, isn't it? I mean, yes. I mean, it really is. Because I suppose in some instances, it might be better to sharpen the competition yeah. and, uh, you know, get people on, on their toes and get them focused on, on performance outcomes. So, it really depends very much on what the objective 
is, doesn't it? Totally, totally. I mean, I'm drafting a talk for an engineering conference tomorrow. And one of the examples I'm giving is the example of the X Prize. Yeah. And the X Prize is a big challenge, which effectively is a gamified way of solving a problem. Yeah. Because you have a big prize, multidisciplinary teams all pitching to get a piece of the pie and to actually solve really meaningful problems. So, uh, so you're, you're tapping into not only skills levels, but also collaborations that wouldn't have happened before. Yes. Just by putting a very high ticket prize at the end, millions you're talking about. And then having the glory of seeing your prize, you know, or your solution go into production as well. So I think, you know, uh, one of the things I see more and more is that we do so many more challenges on a regular basis for marketing, yeah. for connection, that, you know, the challenge economy is effectively a side effect of what we, we do in gaming anyway. Mm. Uh, it would be a quest. It would be let's say a challenge to overcome or beat a peer could be beat the beat the board as the cybersecurity game did so i think it's much more around us than we than we think if we stop and, and look and say oh yeah that could actually be coming from games mm. uh, more and more we see that i think yeah that that's so interesting and i think the other thing of course about about games and about learning is that of course, there are three different learning styles, aren't there? Visual, auditory and kinesthetic, with the kinesthetic being you experience through doing. Mm -hmm. And of course, the thing about gaming, and I think maybe why it resonates, the messages resonate so much, is because it works on all of those different learning styles. And it is quite hard for the kinesthetic learner to actually process information if if they're not doing something but i think that's maybe that's where the engagement comes from would you agree with that Anne? yeah i think so because you're touching multi-sensory approaches and that's all that has always worked yeah so, because if you think about it some of us will hear a command rationally process it but don't know what then happens with the rest of it yes i suppose the the, what games do much more so than even touching on the multimodal ways of learning is that there's an emotional connection in it. Yes. And they, they go deep enough. So if I look at, I mean, I, I come from the training and learning profession. So in, in some yeah. ways, you know, I've seen great e-learning, I've seen great trainings, and I've seen the other side too. But what a lot of learning training courses don't do is they don't create an emotional feeling of success or feeling of failure in it. And that's what games do. So the people that learn the most in games tend to have lost once or twice before they have won. You know, and that's how we used to learn as kids. So yes. it's basically back to primal days of, you know, you touch the fire and you know that's hot, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. One of my favorite uh, ladies in the game industry uh, Jane McGonagall, she said, game designers are obsessed with creating emotionally intense experiences. Mm. And I think that's where it makes the difference in comparison to training and other systems on the market to communicate your messages. Mm. I really, really love that. 
Because, of course, if you resonate emotionally with somebody, then you've got them, haven't you? Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, if your business goes down in the game, you'll remember why. Yes, <laughs> but it's not real life. <laughs> it's not real life, so it's safe. Yes. Or it's safe. You've learned a lesson, you now can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, of course, that is why it's it's fun and why people love to do it and why you know, it's, it's overcoming passive forms of, of media in terms of actually producing revenues and con- contributing to the economy, as you said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think the fact that you can play by yourself on your mobile phone in a casual game or you can do it together with other people opens up so many doors because if you think about movies and television, even books, they're very much a solitary experience. Yes. You know, I mean, I grew up going to the movies with my friends, but you still sat beside each other in silence and it was the before and after that was the fun bit. Yes, so. <laughs> that's right. And games, you don't actually have to, you know, break the pattern of getting together. You're together and you're doing something together. I mean, I was speaking to someone at the weekends and they said, yeah, my kids were playing Fortnite. And then there was a dance break in the middle because they were all doing the latest moves in the Fortnite release. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Isn't that great? Because that's yes. a connection on such a, a deeper level that they wouldn't have made otherwise. Yes, and I, you know, I see it. Obviously, I have. I mean, I have children as well, and I I see the impact of gaming on their lives and the way that it does facilitate relationships and connection in a way that, well, I mean, I certainly never had an opportunity to do when I was young, because of course there is quite a blending, isn't there, of online and offline relationships, particularly amongst uh, younger people. Yes, absolutely. So if if you imagine the big uh, games that are multiplayer online games, like your World of Warcraft or um, Overwatch or some of the battling games, kids the world over are playing together, managing teams that they have never met, and yet communicating effectively to go to battle, go and do some things that are role-specific to your character. Now, that's the same as what we do in work. I mean, yeah. my team is virtually around the world. So <laughs> we communicate regularly through systems. We yes. also try and meet up when we can, but it's not a guarantee. Uh, and friendships have been made across the world because of that. So yeah. in actual fact, one mimics the other and you have to question which one which mimics which. <laughs> because... Yeah. Games draw inspiration from real world and the real world draws inspiration from games. So it's a it's a two-way street now, which it used to be. Yeah, so would you say, Anne, that games should be one of the leading strategies or, or tools for companies that want to expand globally? Well, if it's right for you, yes. If it's not suiting your brand. So uh, I will qualify that because... Often we get the question, oh, we want a game, and I ask why, and they go, well, it's popular. And I was like, that's the worst reason to get into it. You want a really specific objective, and it needs to fit with your culture. For example, Virgin, last year or two years ago, had a treasure hunt online. It was damn hard. It was launched by Richard Branson, but it was super good. 
yeah, because it was so hard to, to catch it. But the prize was also amazing. You could get a few days in Necker Island. So, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so, worth, that's worth um, having a go at. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And from a, a Richard Branson or a Virgin perspective, that brand so to totally suited that kind of game style. Yeah. To, because everybody knows about him and his antics and everything. Yeah. And obviously they're already drawn to that. So they're, even if it was around the launch of a loyalty program, it was, you know, also very much on brand on topic. If, for example, you're a much more, let's say, take a financial service company, any of them, you're probably not the adventure type that should send people off in treasure hunts. Uh, but you could do things to educate. You could have challenges like saving challenges. You could have, let's say, learn about our portfolio challenges. But the tone and the type of game that you create is completely different yeah. uh, in style and needs to be on brand. But you should always have a reason to do it. If you don't have a reason, don't go there, don't waste your money, just you know, find it, find out what it is you want to achieve. So, for example, we're working on a pitch, or we pitched recently for some work where the organization was trying to reach more 18 to 30-year-olds. Yeah. They wanted to reach a very specific group, namely adventurers, uh, because they're in the travel industry and, and want to sort of entice them to explore their website, get to know what kind of things they offer, and they are they want to link it to a game. Now that makes sense because if you're an adventurer trying something new, yes, that can work. If for example, you know, we did some work for military services around recruitment, around engaging young people to consider careers. So a brand awareness campaign or there's more than one mission that you can take on as opposed to you're going to go to, to war and you're going to kill people uh, because there is that too. So they had a very specific reason to send the message. So you really need a good, solid reason and it doesn't have to be attracting millennials. <laughs> yes. You know, because people of all ages play. Yeah, yeah. Right, and on to your own business. And you mentioned that you have teams all over the world. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people might think that that was quite challenging to, to manage. How, how have you found that? Tell me, where are your teams and, and what do they do? Yes, so we, we have very much the, the gig economy model in our company. So for any given project, we stock up and stock down on people. Yeah. However, we have a core team of four, uh, two in the Philippines, one in Germany, and myself as the roving lunatic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, any given week I could be in, in multiple countries. So yesterday I was in Spain, today I'm in Sweden, but I'm traveling to UK tonight. It's, it really varies week to week. So, so we heavily rely on online tools like Slack, email, and Skype. And I do my best to make the meeting every week, but it's not always a guarantee. Uh, we also work very much on an agile approach. So we sprint yeah. towards achievements. We sprint towards different things. And for specific projects, we also put a, an agile coach or a project manager on it to make sure that we hit the deadlines we need to hit because 
when you're spread out and you have multiple people carrying different pieces, a lot of balls could drop at any given time. So yes, I have to say it's never easy when you think you're ahead, you have to look in and sort of say, is everyone okay? I've, if you haven't heard from a few in a few days, it's good to just, you know, delve in and say, Hey, what's happening? What are you doing? Yes. Keep your communication going. Exactly. Exactly. We have those things like task boards where we move things through the process so I can see whenever I have time in whatever time zone, what's being actioned, what's still outstanding, etc. So, so you need to become very smart about it. And yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve. <laughs> Yes, um, sure. I can't. I can't honestly say that we get it right one hundred percent of the time. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> no, I think it's it's normal. We try. Uh, we try our best to to get it right. Say eighty to ninety percent of the time, and then you know when we we are in trouble, we try and fix it ASAP. Say, look, if we're on a client project, that's always first priority. If we're working on something that's internal, and a client project comes in client project comes first and that's starting to have good traction and people understand it now whereas in the beginning oh but i was still working on that and i was like mm, i told you it was priority but <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> with all your travels around the world that's a pretty hectic schedule isn't it so it is. i ask this to a lot of the entrepreneurs that i interview so do you have any particular routines for starting and ending the day that you that you can share with us so yeah. i make to-do lists i'm yeah. a i'm a to-do holic yes. <laughs> yes. so and i usually write down at the end of the day what needs to still get done and yes. then i take great uh, fun out of scratching things off but if i'm if i don't feel focused at the beginning of the day to-do list is what actually gets me back on track Yes. So, so that's my one routine that no matter where I am, I have a notepad called things to do today. Yes. And I like the notepad because it, I'm very much a touch kind of person. So I like to write things down. Once it's out of my head and onto the paper, it doesn't take space. <laughs> yes, yes. That's important. <laughs> and, and how about downtime, And What's your favorite way to relax? Or if you're going to take some time for yourself, what, what do you like to do? <laughs> Play games. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you're a big games person yourself. Yes, I always was. Yes. Uh, so, but I also love making games. So for me, work at the moment is more do what I love. I yeah. always wanted to do. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I also love going for walks when the weather is agreeable. We, I mean, where we live, we live close to a nature reserve. So uh, I love taking a lunchtime walk, listening to some podcasts and, you know, walk around in nature learning. So I often do that because it's my way of processing in every place where I visit, I try and take a day to, to sightsee or do something that the locals would do. Yes. It doesn't always work with if the time schedule is a bit crazy, but, you know, where I can, I do. Yes. But the one consistent is games, so... I have Unsurprisingly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's research, right? <laughs> oh, yes, yes. It was very worthwhile. <laughs> totally has to be done. <laughs> yes. yes. All right, then. Anne. Well, well, listen, I, I think the time's up, but I just wanted to thank you. You know, that, that was a really, really fascinating and interesting interview. And I'm sure that for people that didn't 
quite realize how games work in business, I'm sure that that will be very, very illuminating. And for people who are gaming fans, and I think they'll find that very interesting as well to hear about your approach and, and your all your incredible activities. So I just wanted to thank you for joining us today. Well, very welcome. And thank you for having me. I much enjoyed our conversation today. Good. All right. We'll speak soon. Thank you, Jane. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Smart Connector podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not head over to janebaylor.com and order a copy of my free report on building your personal brand. I'd love to connect with you on social media. And finally, don't forget to like and subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss a show. Thanks for listening in and see you soon.